18th chapter. And uh, <clears throat> there's just an exciting portion of Scripture here that deals with uh, the greatness of God. In Genesis 18. <clears throat> of course, the, the situation is that Sarah, Abraham's wife, was given the promise that she would have a child. Now, a lot of people criticize people in the Bible who make mistakes. You know, they they talk about doubting Thomas and talk about Peter who walked on the water and wouldn't keep his eyes on the Lord. Well, you know, while we're criticizing some of those people, you know, we got to realize that most of us would have never even gotten out of the boat, let alone tried to walk on the water. <laughs> you know, you gotta, you gotta understand that. You know that we're we're, you know, we're just like these people. You know. Now, Sarah was ninety, and she received news that she was going to have a child. Now that is really hard. When I read the Bible, it's it's easy for me to believe, but whenever I think in our present day terms, you know. Uh, Sister Grant's 39. If you uh, double her age and put her at 78, and then you added 12 more years to that, could you feature her having a baby? <clears throat> she doesn't even like to think about it now. <clears throat> and it makes me sick. To think about it. <laughs> so we say that, you know, those days are all over with. You young ones can have them. But, uh, you know, here she is, 90 years old, and, and so she hears uh, the word that she's going to have a child. You know what she did? She laughed. It was quite funny, I guess. You know, you know, a ninety-year-old lady and have a child, and she laughed, especially in view of the fact that she had never had a child before. However, there is a portion of scripture that was brought to her attention—not scripture, but we want to bring the scripture to you. But there was something that was brought to her attention that I'm sure she was well aware of, that kind of took the smile off of her face and the laugh out of her heart. And that's found in Genesis 18, verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, isn't that something? Is anything too hard for the Lord. Of course, three people had come and visited Abraham. And uh, they were angels that visited him. Uh, he felt so honored and understood that these were angelic beings. And he wanted to host them as much as possible. So he told his wife, said, now I want you to take some of the best meal that you have. And I want you to take and work this up and grated fine and want you to fix some cakes or bread 
He went out into his field and grabbed the best calf out there and and uh, <clears throat> took it over to some of his servants and said, uh, quick, I want you to dress this thing and cut it up and bring it in. And, and of course, he served these men. Well, Sarah was kind of peeping out the tent door, and she heard them talking about an addition to the family. And, uh, you know, it just, uh, it kind of strikes me funny, too, because I could just see how she would feel about that. You know, you're going to have a son, and she's listening. She's crazy. You know, what in the world are they talking about? And so she burst out laughing. She thought it was the funniest thing she'd heard in a long time. And so <clears throat> she began to laugh. And then, of course, the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? In other words, I'm too old to have a kid. And then the voice of the Lord came, Is anything too Hard for the Lord. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. <clears throat> I just believe that in the age that we live in, that God is challenging our faith. You know, every now and then God comes down and challenges you to believe Him. And sometimes you have to believe Him to the point that you put yourself in a very dangerous and perhaps precarious situation if he doesn't answer you. You'll find a lot of people are challenged by God to just go out on the limb, so to speak. I don't believe that anybody who has been redeemed by his blood and who claims kindred to the Lord, that is being his son, will live this life as a Christian without their faith being challenged. God's going to move upon you to do certain things, to believe Him for certain things, that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that, that, that it could never be accomplished if God did not come to your rescue. And that's exactly what happened here. We'll leave this story, and we'll talk about a few other things in the Bible <clears throat> that I feel is necessary I'd like to just call your attention first to the, the story of Gideon and the 300. Now, this is a story that, that most of you could uh, stand up and just pretty well, you know, tell me all the details. So I don't choose to, to uh, preach this or talk about it here for a few moments to, to, to give you any additional information, but to just show you how that God really does work. Of course, God moved upon Gideon to go out and... Uh, Overtake the Midianites. The Midianites were were a threat to the peace of Israel. Of course, uh, under the reign of the judges, uh, uh, Israel experienced some very difficult times. You might say that throughout the 405 years that the book of Judges uh, covers, that uh, they were considered to be failures, actually. They just didn't seem to manifest the faith in God that they should. Now, there's a reason why that they were failures. They were considered to be failures simply because they had disobeyed the commandment of the Lord. The Midianites and uh, all of the Canaanites who were in the land, uh, the Philistines, they were all there simply because that uh, 
they were allowed to stay there. God says we want you to utterly destroy these people and get them out of the land. Well, Israel signed some leagues with them, and and uh, at first uh, Israel was taxing them. They got this this idea in their mind that, well, I tell you what we can do: we can gain from them. It's it's amazing to me how incompatible Christians are with people of the world. And whenever I say amazing, you'd think there'd be certain areas in which you could really deal with people of the world. But I'll tell you one thing, there are very few areas that you really want to become closely involved in a relationship with people of the world in. Very few. When the Bible says, be not unequally yoked together with non-believers... And the logic is, what fellowship does light have with darkness? In other words, what is your point of interest anyway? And it's really amazing. While we may work on jobs in which we have uh, an employer or supervisor or someone who is is of the world, and 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 be able to you know to work there in a compatible situation, you got to understand that you can't always just become buddy buddy with that man. Because you don't have much in you know in common. You may witness to him about the Lord. You may take him out for coffee. You may occasionally take he and his wife out uh, for a meal or, or such. But just to go over to their house every night and sit down, he's interested in doing what? You know, he's interested in opening up the bottles and playing cards all night and this type thing, or or doing something that 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 you would not just be interested in at all. In other words, what's a good time to him? It's not a good time to you. What's exciting to him is not exciting to you. You know, he gets his thrills and kicks out of being, uh, you know, just uh, uh, the kingpin of everything. And you don't do that. You know, because you have learned that that true joy and happiness, you know, comes through God and and uh, having a good, upright relationship. You're not always trying to figure out how you can beat somebody, how you can get ahead of somebody, you know, how you can outmaneuver somebody. That's not your point of interest. So there is limited uh, uh, friendship. Now, Israel thought, well, all we want to do is just tax these people and, and we can take their money and we can build a great big empire. But the problem was that... that uh, they had to disobey the command of the Lord. And so the Philistines, the Midianites, the Jebusites, the Hivites, and all of the Canaanites in the land, they began to grow and they began to flourish. And, and they got so big in number that uh, they were much bigger and greater than the Israelites. Now you'll find out one thing in the scripture. When Israel sinned, God didn't seem to go to any trouble to take up for them. And you'll find that in your own life. You get outside of the will of God and you allow certain things to creep in your life and you see how much God will come down and bless you and favor you. It seems like God won't go to much trouble to come down and take up for you when you're in trouble. But listen, when you put it on the line with the Lord and you really love Him and you really trust Him and and you're sold out and you're submissive to Him... He will go to almost any extreme to take care of his child. And that's something that's very important. There is a particular principle involved. You see, when I was growing up, and Sister Rutherford can vouch for this, because our mother told us this many times, you know, occasionally we'd get in trouble. 
And we'd be in trouble with, with maybe some other, the, 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 the kids of the church. And occasionally some of the parents would rise up and take up for their child. My mother's called me in many times and she said, Son, when you're in trouble, you're in trouble. And it doesn't make any difference whether you're my son or somebody else's. I'm not going to take up for you. And I've heard her say many times, I will never say my kids won't do this or they won't do that because my kids are real kids. <laughs> and that son of mine, he's a real boy. And I got in trouble a lot. But you know, I don't ever remember my mother just coming to my rescue and taking up for me. I remember times when the neighbors would come over and say, you know what your son did? You know, I'd be hiding in the back room underneath the bed. And she'd sit and listen through all of that. Well, I've been over to the other kid's home when somebody would come and, and the first thing the parents would say, my kid never did that. And, you know, they would bless out the neighbors and send them home and, 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 and hear the, the kids, you know, they were laughing about it. You know, <laughs> I got out of that one. <laughs> you know, my mother always takes up for me. God never took up for Israel when Israel was wrong. You see, there's a principle because if God did, it would spoil those people until their whole life becomes so uncharactered and such that God couldn't deal with them. So God didn't take up for them. When they got in trouble, they were just in trouble. <clears throat> so, after a while, uh, experiencing the troubles and the sorrows and such as they did, and God not really taking up for them, uh, uh, we find that, that the situation had been reversed. Instead of Israel taxing them, they were taxing Israel. Instead of them having the fertile lands like they should, uh, the Canaanites had it, and they were living in the caves and such, and, 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 and dens and such, and, and they were planting their... Uh, gardens and such out on the, the rocky hillsides while the Canaanites had the fertile valley. That's the way it works. When you don't take care of your problems, you just begin to shrink up and shrivel up and dry up spiritually until, you, you know, there, there's not much for you. There's not much left for you. And this is, this is where they were. And God didn't take up for them. Until such a time that they got on their face and said, Now, Lord, I want you to forgive us. I want you to forgive us. So the entire book of Judges carries this particular pattern. Israel sinned. God punished them. They repented and God forgave. The particular setting of the story in the book of Judges, the seventh chapter, they were in that repenting and forgiving stage where God, they had repented. God we don't like to be in bondage and we're sorry we're in bondage and, and we don't like to be taxed and we don't like to be driven back like we are. But the Midianites are so great, God, and they're not only the Midianites, but there are all kinds of people around us. The Amorites, the, the Hivites, the Jebusites, uh, the Ph Philistines. They're all around us and we're just a little band of people. Now, God, we're tired and we're fed up we're just in a corner and you know one thing about the lord though is that he is merciful you know you can, now i understand that that true repentance is is not just asking god to forgive you but it's the turning away of your sin but you know a, a person can ask god to forgive them and they can turn away and, and maybe after a while they they turn back to that and then they turn back and forth and back and forth god will tolerate that for a while we know that he will because he does it with all of us 
Uh, I remember when I was first saved, there were just a few little things that I, I told the Lord, I'll never do it again. And I did. And oh, I'd just pray and I'd seek the Lord and ask God to forgive me. And I'd be determined. One time I vowed I'd never do something again. I mean, I vowed. You know, I did it again. And then I felt, oh, God, God won't even hear my prayers anymore. He probably will reject me. And then I thought of Jephthah and his awful vow that he made concerning, you know, and, and I thought, oh, my, you know, he said, I made a vow unto the Lord and I'll never go back. And so I broke a vow. And, and, and listen, I sat in the church and every time the preacher would preach, I, I, just, I just wondered if I could feel God. You know, I'd reach out like, ooh, can I feel you, Lord? You know, you've probably forsaken me. You know, I had made a vow and I'd broken that vow and I felt so terrible about it. But you know, God was good enough to reach down and touch me. Kind of pull me to himself and love me. Now, I'm not encouraging you to just keep on sinning if you, you know, because God will tolerate certain things for a certain length of time and then it's all over with. Certain things God will tolerate a little while. Certain things he will tolerate a long while. There's certain things he won't tolerate ever at all. But Israel's in that repenting stage. So God looks down upon them and he sees a man who's a busy man. That's the kind of people God always likes to work through. You know, most people that don't do anything, don't they got a lot of time on their hands. If you were to give them something, they couldn't do it or wouldn't do it. They wouldn't be responsible enough to do it. But God looks down at, at Gideon and he says, Now I'm going to call you, Gideon, to, to go out and, and, and deliver from the hand of the Midianites. Oh, but God, the Midianites are strong. The Midianites, they, they have us engulfed. Uh, the Midianites, they're all around us. How in the world are we going to do it? Well, God convinced him that he was called and so he put forth this fleece. And, of course, you know the story about the fleece, how he took the fleece and put it out. He said, let dew fall upon all the earth, but not upon the fleece. If God has called me, he wanted a confirmation that God was really calling. Why? Because he had a pretty big task before him. And then, of course, he turned it around and said, let uh, uh, dew fall upon the fleece, but not upon all the earth. And this was his way of receiving that confirmation. So now he's got his confirmation. He knows God's with him. He knows that God's going to help him. And God tells him, said, I'm going to give you the, uh, the Midianites. And so he sent forth uh, throughout all the camps of all the Israelites and all the homes and such. And, and he called the people together for battle. And he ended up with 22,000 soldiers. Now, I'm sure that he thought about that. That's probably not enough people to fight the Midianites with. But nevertheless, God said, we're going to fight the Midianites. So I'm going to take the 22,000, and we're going to go out, and we're going to do what we can do. But he more than started, and, and of course, home was still in their sight, and looking down over the hill. And so the Lord spoke to Gideon and said, now, I want you to stop right here. They're well in view of home. It's not very far back. And I want you to tell the people that everybody that's fearful and afraid can go back. And that's exactly what he did. Did you know out of the 22,000, 12,000 of them went back? Now, <clears throat> he was hoping for a bigger number than 22, but now he only has 12. And so here they go marching. Over half the people left him. 
went back to their homeland. And the Lord says, I can't use anybody that's afraid. Oh, there's a real message in that. I mean, there's a real message in that. You know, have you ever wanted to win souls, but you were too scared? And then you wonder, why can I win souls? Well, you see, you've got to understand that God, God wants you to have perfect confidence in Him. You see, fear is certainly a fruit of an inner problem. That is, I don't trust in God. I don't have the confidence in God that I need. And, and we become fearful of people. You know, the apostles had to pray for boldness. But, but you see, they knew that the Lord had given them the commandment to preach the gospel to all the world for a witness. And so these men were not just going to sit around and try to work up some kind of a program uh, that, would, that would erase fear. Friend, they fasted and prayed and sought God, and they prayed that God would give them great boldness. And I believe that, that this real core of our boldness needs to come from God. Do you know the reason why? Well, you know, you can read Dale Carnegie books and learn how to win friends and influence people and build up your confidence. But you know what's going to happen? You know, sometimes you can get a, a confidence that's not really based upon the Lord. It's based upon your ability. It's based upon your strength. Now I don't stutter when I greet people. You know, you go knock on the door. Have you ever gone out knocking on doors and trying to win people and somebody comes to the door and you just I remember Sister Grant was taking some girls around in La Crosse and, and uh, I took some of the men around. We were knocking on doors and passing out tracks and Sister Grant had, uh, had done this with this one girl and, and uh, he said, now don't, just don't be afraid, honey. Everything's going to work out all right. And so as she told her, said, uh, now you're going to do the talking the next door. Well, the girl didn't want to do the talking in front of Sister Grant. So she said, let me go to the door alone. So Sister Grant said, okay, I'll go over here. You go over here. Well, what happened was uh, she walked up, knocked on the door, and somebody came to the door. Great big burly guy. Looked out, what do you want? And she stood there for a long time, and she couldn't think of a word to say. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you know what she did? She turned to Sister Grant across the street, and she screamed. I mean, she just screamed bloody murder. <laughs> Sister Grant looked, and she said, What do I say? <laughs> you remember that, Sister Grant? <laughs> you know... <clears throat> Well, you see, what can happen sometimes, you know, without the true burden and the true compassion for souls, you know, we can, and I'm not saying that all of the self-help books and things that you would read that are on the market would be harmful to you. But if you're not very careful, see, you can build up a confidence in yourself. I can do it. Now, I know how to talk. I've got a smooth tongue. I've got a quick mind. I've worked out my wit. You know, I know how to outwit people and get ahead of them. Friend, you won't win a soul that way. And so the apostles prayed for boldness. And so when they stood there before the members of the Sanhedrin through all and before all the people who came that great day to see those apostles beaten and striped and such, you know what happened? The Bible says that the men recognized that they had been with Jesus. They said, these people, aren't they just ignorant and unlearned fishermen? But nevertheless, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And friend, they listened to their story. 
And I think if there's anything in the world that people need to recognize when we witness and talk to them is that we have been in the presence of the Lord and they can feel it. Praise God. And if your boldness comes from God, friend, there won't be so much self that shows. Sometimes, you know, you can get boldness. Some people are just naturally bold. There's some people who can just go out. They don't give one thought to what they're doing. They don't recognize fear when it comes. You know, they have no reason. So, But, but you know what will happen sometimes? If you're not sensitive enough and you have a lot of boldness on your own, you can turn people off. And when you walk away, they'll say, man, what a bigoted Christian. Never in my life seen anybody so self-righteous. You know, if people are always accusing you of that, you need to take inventory. Now, occasionally, people will do this because, you see, when you get anointed, you get a little bit loud, don't you? Now, some of you think, you know, that I sometimes preach and scream and, and all this, and, and I know that I, I have had visitors come to this church that said, How come the pastor has to get so loud about everything? Well, some of you who made that accusation are here right now. And while you're worshiping, sometimes I'm sitting up here and wondering, How come they have to get so loud? <laughs> now I'm not criticizing you when I say that but you see it's amazing when you change sides you also change your mind that's what causes you to get on the other side praise God and you know a real mind change about what you're involved in and such is, is really what we need praise God and sometimes you know we get fearful we say hey you know it's too hard to be a Christian oh it's not hard to be a Christian I've told people so many times, listen, the only thing hard about being a Christian is what's between your two ears. You know, you'd be surprised. You know, the mind is, is, is so great, it's so vast. And just a, a mind change, and that's what the Holy Ghost will do when you really pray. It's, it's like the this situation in, in Madison, you know, this... This lady, or I thought it was a lady and found out it was a man. And then after I found out it was a man, I found out it was a lady. I'm not for sure whether it was a lady or a man. But nevertheless, the, the city is supposed to pay for the sex change. You know, well, I can assure you of one thing, friend. The problem with that individual is not from here down. It's from here up. <clears throat> and they need something to happen from here up. And when it happens from here up, they're going to be happy whatever sex they are. And you see, that's the way we are as Christians. You know, when God works on us from here up, works on our heart, praise God, we say, what do we have to lose? You know, the beautiful attitude of Job, after Job was stripped of everything, he said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What a beautiful attitude. Now, you know, you just can't defeat an individual like that. What can you possibly say? And then, of course, after everything was taken to, he said, Naked came out of the world, and naked shall I return. What a beautiful attitude. Now, he didn't hear from the Lord for a long period of time, but you can understand why Job really held on and held his integrity while everybody around him was encouraging him to lose it. But he was such a great, great, Patriarch. Gideon's left now with 10,000 people, 12,000. They're fearful. They're too afraid to go out and fight the enemies. So he probably says, well, okay, you jellyfishes, we're going to go without you. 
And then, of course, as they got over the hill and they started down by a brook down there, the Lord spoke to him again. Now, Gideon, I'd like for you to take and stop down here, and we want everybody to get a good drink of water. And so they got down drinking. And so the Lord spoke to Gideon and says, Okay, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to take inventory of the way they drink here. Now, the people, they get down on a four, all fours, you know, their knees and their hands, and they put their head down, they lap the water like a dog, and they don't look around. I want you to send them home. But the soldier that gets down on one knee, see, and keeps his eye open because he knows the Midianites are out here, and he gets the water in his hand, he gets it up, and he's watching while he's lapping the water. Now, you take him with you because he's ready to fight. So Gideon went by and he's tapping him on the shoulder. You go home. What? You go home. You're not a good soldier. Why? He said, you weren't watching for the enemy. You know we're getting in the territory of the Midianites. And so after they all crossed over the hill, Gideon took count. He had 300 men. Now, that's hard to believe that 21,700 of them had failed the test. But, you know, Gideon had a great victory that day. And the Lord stresses something to Gideon after Gideon wins the victory. Why did God only want 300 men? It wasn't that God only wanted 300. That wasn't it. They had passed the, they had failed the test. He would have used all 22,000 of them if they had. Because you see, the truth of the matter is, they didn't really have enough people to, to, to win over the Midianites anyway. But nevertheless, God came down and said, Well, Gideon, you know, the, the number didn't make any difference. What was important was that you understood that it was God that gave the victory. And God sent them all home knowing that some of them would not pass the test. And purposely weeded down the number when they wouldn't pass the test. And then when they did win the battle, then the name of the Lord was lifted up. So when Gideon got back into the camp with a great victory, friend, and they all around to say, Oh, Gideon, look what Gideon's done. He said, We did not do it. God did it. And I believe that I'm speaking to somebody right here that you're at that particular level in your Christian experience in which God wants you to depend upon Him. Somehow He wants you to magnify His name. Somehow He wants you to glorify His presence. Somehow He's going to put you in a position in which when the victory comes, you're going to have to give a testimony. I could not have made it on my own. But God performed the miracle. Is there anything too hard for God? Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Nothing's too hard for the Lord. Absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing. You know, and maybe maybe this would be a good time for me to talk about it. Uh, we purchased some land four years ago, and our land contract on our will be uh, expiring here 
at the end of next April or 1st of May, somewhere along there. So we're going to have to get our land refinanced. And we all thought, you know, that we'd have the building up by now. We haven't put the building up. In fact, it, the land's out there, and I don't know what we're going to do. We've got some interested people, but see, the economy is bad. And, and so we're saying, well, we've got a bad economy. You know, the truth of the matter is, it, it just appears that God's going to do it for us exactly what he's done for other churches that I, I presently uh, have been involved in. I think that God is putting us in a position that when it happens, we're going to have to say, we didn't do it. Because, you know, after prayer and searching and people come to me, but well, is there something we can do? And I have always, I've got to tell you, I have always felt like that I could get myself out of a lot of difficult positions. I'm going to make this confession to you. And Sister Grant's lived with me for a long time. And, and, and she will tell you that it, almost every jam I get in, I have a way of getting out of it. You know? And, and I've gone places, and, and, and when people are looking for buildings and everything, well, we just got our building. And uh, we continue to go on, and we continue to progress. And, and, and I think God just got me in a position. He's got me in a position right now, in which i got to tell you, I have searched every avenue that I possibly can search. We have chucked every financial... Uh, lead and everything we can possibly check. Brother Manley, bless his heart, has spent hours and hours and hours and hours looking through the MLS book and, and checking into this and checking into that and checking into this and checking into that. And Brother Manley and I just sat down in the basement of my home the other day and we just kind of looked at each other and we said, well, I guess we're going to build it whenever God wants us to build it. You know. Now, I've been saying that all along. But I don't really know that I'm in it. But i got to tell you this right now. I don't know what to do. Now, I have never just been that, ex you know, jumping up and down and that excited about just going out and building a building just to say we have the building. You know, that's not been our purpose at all. But sometimes even when your motives are right, and Gideon's motive was definitely right because it was directed of God. Even when your motives are right, there are certain things that God has to work out among the group in order for Him to get the glory. Maybe we have some fearful ones here who just feel that, oh, another building, another bill. You know what I'm saying? Maybe we got some people here who are not just really prepared for such an encounter. But I'll tell you this one thing. I have just felt recently, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time praying. I've spent more time working on it than I have praying. And the reason why, because that was a personal conviction of my own. Why? I have, in my whole lifetime, I have spent very little in prayer about my personal needs. Brother Jim Larson quoted a scripture that has really been a theme for my life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. But you see, this building and the work of the Lord is a different thing altogether. Could it be that God is going to put us right in the place where we really have to pray for it and depend upon Him? Praise God. So that when the beautiful carpet is laid, 
And the final vacuum of the floor takes place. And it's time to dedicate the building. We will all have to weep in tears. Of real inner joy. We didn't do it. God did it. Praise God. Do you know what? I really felt impressed here in the last few days to just call upon you every time you pray. Just say, now Lord, I commit this into your hands. We can't do it. But you can. Would you promise to go along with that? Praise God. And I don't know, I'm feeling something else and maybe I'm stepping totally out of line when I'm saying this. But I just feel somehow that God doesn't want us to go head over heels in debt out there just to get a building up. We dedicated Brother Lemke's church just last Saturday. They got a nice building there. Brother Manley was up there. That's beautiful, isn't it, Brother Manley? It's just beautiful. And you see, Brother Yance bought a warehouse and they converted it and, and made it into a nice, nice building. But I asked Brother Lemke in his office, how much do you owe on this building total? The whole thing, he says... Brother Grant, you can't believe we only owe $10,000 on the whole thing. Isn't that something? Brother Bridges stepped out by faith a few uh, years ago and started a building fund. And, 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 of course, I don't think his church is in an ideal location. Now, he thinks it is. And if he thinks it is, that's all that matters to me. I don't care. But he thinks it's just great there. But nevertheless, you know, don't send him a tape of this. If he comes and wants to buy it, don't sell it. But, but he doesn't realize how handicapped he is. Do you know what they have church in? They have church in a barn. It was a barn, and they remodeled it. It looks like a barn on the outside. Now, he's got it all painted up white and, and trimmed in blue, and he thinks it's just the greatest thing in the world. But I went in there and preached, friend, when they didn't have carpet on the floor and I had a drain in the middle of the floor. There used to be a drain around a dog kennel. And the drain was stopped up and he couldn't figure out why the water wouldn't run and it had seepage in there and everybody had to move out of a certain area because there was water back there. Now they didn't need any heat in there because they had too many people in there. And I was up there last Sunday night and they had 175 adults that I roughly counted sitting in an area that was 20 by 50. Then they had people standing up and had the vestibule filled up and people looking around the corners while I was preaching. Now, right out in the back out there, they're building a building that is 50 or 60, I believe it's 60 wide by 80. And uh, they're putting it up debt free. Debt free. I said, Brother Bridges, what did you do? What did you do? You know what he said we did? He said, we went and poured the concrete. First, he said, we had an old building out there, and we knew we had to get rid of it. So it was so bad because it was another barn. It was green. The old green barn. And so, what did we do? He said, we, we got the volunteer fire department in here. They burned it down. We scraped off the land and put the... Uh, uh, plumbing in and such and pour us a slab and then we put the building up now he says we don't have any money to finish the inside I said what are you doing he said our people will believe in God that we're going to put it up debt free 
And he said, when the building goes up, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to enter into it with one thing in mind. It was a miracle. If God had not have done it, we could not have done it. Praise God, praise God, praise God. And you know, I think it's beautiful. You know, you know what I heard last week? I heard last week that someplace in the States, and I thought it was here in Wisconsin, but I, I didn't get the message clear, but maybe Brother Don Moran heard this also. Some Holstein bull, which happened to be a top-of-the-line Holstein bull, sold for over a million dollars. Okay. All right. It was a cow. Okay. Boy, I really got it crossed up. Over a million dollars. Now, I couldn't believe that. But you know what I thought when I heard that? I was driving down the road. You know, the Bible says that the Lord owns a cattle on a thousand hills. <laughs> but but can, you, can you believe that, that, that one animal, I, I don't know, was it a Holstein? A Holstein cow sold for over a million dollars, and God owns all the cows on a thousand hills. And could it be that we have lived it ourselves simply because that we feel that we have the resources, that we have the power, that we have the strength, that we have the ingenuity, that we have the know-how? And somehow when we've exhausted all of our efforts, we have to fall humbly at the feet of the Lord. And the Lord looks down and says, now I want to ask you this. Is there anything too hard for God? Hallelujah. 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 You know, you can find throughout the Bible. You remember when Jairus' daughter got sick and they sent for, for Jesus? All throughout the Bible. You, you remember when the two sisters, Mary and Martha, their brother got sick? And they sent for Jesus? Now let's just follow that story through just for a minute. Jesus was going to Jairus' daughter. But he stopped on the way. And you know what happened when he stopped on the way? There was a woman who had been sick for 12 years. 12 years. She had spent all of her money on doctor bills. While they did not have doctors of the particular profession that we have today, they had doctors. And she had spent all of her money. Well, somehow when Jesus came by, she had to heard this message that Jesus was a healer. And friend, she literally pressed her way into the kingdom of God. She pressed her way past everybody. She just pushed aside all the people and reached in. And she just reached out in one desperate effort to touch the hem of his garment. Now, when she touched the hem of his garment, immediately the Bible says she was made whole. But Jesus knew that somebody had touched him. And so he turned around. He said, who touched me? And the apostles or disciples that were on all sides said, what do you mean who touched you? Don't you know that? Look at the people. They're against you now. He said, oh, but this was a different touch. 
He said, for when that person touched me, I perceived that virtue, power went out of me. I felt it go. See, she said, let me just touch the hem of his garment. You see, why did she do this? Why was she so desperate to push her way, crawl up and around those people, reach out just to touch the hem of his garment? Because the doctors were doing her no good. She had exhausted all of her financial abilities. She had exhausted all of her efforts. She had reached the end of her road, friend. And if Jesus Christ didn't do it, it wouldn't be done. And she reached out and she touched him. And when Jesus said, yes, but somebody touched me, for I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. He saw that woman and she stood there. There she was. She was whole. Why? Because you see, she realized that God was her only answer. Is there anything too hard for God? Jairus' daughter in the meantime died. It's too late now. But not for him. Is there anything too hard for God? Mary and Martha, they called for Jesus to come and heal their brother. And Jesus just went seemingly. You see, God has a particular time in which He does certain things. And you will notice one thing for sure. That, that when, when Sarah laughed, God gave her this promise. said, you will conceive and bring forth a son in my time. You mean i got to wait longer than this? Yeah. Well, I'm 90 already. Well, you see, it was 14 years earlier than that that Abraham first received the call that he was going to have a child. And God intentionally waited from 86 until 90, before, before uh, 100 rather, before he had the child. You see, God has to do certain things at a certain time to get us to give him the glory. It's like the child, see, that was full of demons from... From his birth and, and the child who was afflicted, rather, blind from his birth, not full of demons. And so uh, they inquired of the Lord. Now, why is this child sick? Is it sick because of some sin that his parents committed or something he personally has done? And the Lord says, neither one. But he's sick so that the name of the Lord can be magnified. You see, God never heals anybody just to get a lot of pain, friend. And this is the reason why that sometimes when you're sick, you've got to wait a little while. Because God wants to get the glory and God wants to get the gain. Even though He does understand your infirmities and even though He does minister to you. Sometimes they there anything too hard for God. And so when Jesus finally arrived and knocked upon the door, they came. Where's Lazarus? Oh, Jesus, you're too late. What do you mean? He died four days ago. Well, so, where is he? <laughs> he He's out in the graveyard. You know, if you would have only been here, but Jesus said, don't you believe the dead's going to live again? Oh, we know that in the life 
last resurrection. He's going to live again. Or the first resurrection it was. We know he's going to live again. But Jesus says, but I am the resurrection and the life. Show me the tomb. But Lord, he's out in the grave. Take me there. You see, God wanted four days to lapse. Why? Because you see, God wanted those girls to trust in him like never before. And not only that, when Lazarus came forth, the whole community knew. Why? Because, you see, he had friends. They had been to his funeral. They saw his bound body. They saw the stone rolled up and sealed. They saw the weeping, teared eyes of two sisters that could not make it on the merits uh, of, 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 of their own strength. Uh, uh, they saw all of this, and this was to have an impact upon those girls like nothing else. And, and so when Jesus went out there, he said, Roll back the stone! And they said, But Lord, He stinketh by now! He's been dead four days! Roll back the stone! And so they rolled back the stone, and Jesus stood there and stretched out His hand in the midst of that graveyard, and He said, Lazarus, come forth! <laughs> now Lazarus didn't get up on his own power, friend. He took a Holy Ghost ride to the front. You see, when they wrapped those men and got them prepared for burial, they wrapped their feet all together in their whole body. And, and Lazarus was not capable of walking. But somehow from the very back of the tomb, back in the shadows back there, the Holy Ghost just picked him up and brought him out and stood him up there. He didn't walk out there. But there he was. Jesus says, now go get your scissors. Why? He said, cut him loose and let him walk on his own now. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Such a mighty role those girls played. Praise God. Is there anything too hard for God? And maybe I'm talking to somebody under the sound of my voice tonight that is shipwrecked due to circumstances in this life. Somebody who's facing bankruptcy. Somebody who's facing a marriage breakup. Somebody who's facing critical health situations that they can't overcome. Somebody who's trying to believe for a grandmother or grandfather or mother or dad. Somebody who doesn't know which way to turn. You don't know when you've tried everything. You've wrote letters. You've written letters. Whether you've picked up the phone and made the calls. You've done everything, everything, everything. You've sent tracts through the mail. You've prayed and sought the Lord. You've done everything that you know to do. And now you kind of reach the end of the rope and you say, Well, there just seems to be no hope. But when you give up and you fall at the feet of the Lord and say, Now, Lord... Have your will. I don't know what to do. I hear the clarion call of God as it sounds across the centuries of time all the way back to the time that the Lord spoke through the angels to a laughing woman and said, Is there anything too hard for God? Halamokoshandai. I feel His presence, don't you? Oh, God.
God. Somebody right now, just in recognition of your giving up and submitting to God, the Holy Ghost is speaking to you right now that you need to stand and just say, Lord, I turn it over to you. I'm depending on you. Sister Grant, would you come? Oh, God. I can't do it. Tried too hard. I worked and labored and I don't know how. Seems like I always make a mess of it. But is there anything too hard for God? Friend, if you'll just visualize right now the Lord putting His hand in your hand. He can help you. He will help you. He just wants you to get into this place in which you really depend on Him and really trust Him. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, let's reach out to the Lord. It seems like we have a unanimous vote tonight of confidence that only God can do it. But we have put the needs that He must take care of. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And on each side of the pulpit there is a place right now for you to come and pray if you need assistance from any spiritual worker here in this place. Now please understand that about all we can do is give you the encouragement to trust in Him. But we can't heal you, neither can we save you. We can't meet our own needs, let alone yours. But is there anything too hard for God? People are surrendering all over the building, perhaps right where you are. You'd like to just find a place to really reach out to Him. Maybe you want to be seated. Maybe you want to turn around and pray. Maybe you want to stand right where you are. Oh God, look across this congregation tonight. I ask of you, God, that you come down, Lord, and show your servant the way. For, Lord Jesus, people are putting their hands in your hands, and they are making this proclamation. I can't do it, Lord. Only you can. Can't heal myself. Can't save myself. Can't put my marriage together. Can't provide for my family. Can't do any of this, Lord. But is there anything too hard for God? Oh, 
hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. 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 Oh, God. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And everything has failed, try Jesus.